We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of Irish Breakdown Podcast. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com, and I'm joined today by Vince D'Addario. And Vince, I tell you what, man, there's been a lot of action since our Monday podcast, so we have a lot to talk about today. So let's just dive right in. Here's the four topics we're going to discuss. We're number one. We're going to discuss uh, former Notre Dame quarterback and Boston College transfer quarterback Phil Dracovic being declared immediately eligible, so he will play for BC in 2020, which means he will play against Notre Dame. Notre Dame's rising junior receiver Kevin Austin and his injury status, the fact that Notre Dame is 10th in the preseason coaches poll that came out today, and then, of course, the main topic of conversation, Vince, is going to be Notre Dame's 2020 football schedule, which came out today. So a lot going on, a lot to dive into. Let's get to the Phil Dracovic news. We will talk more about this as we kind of dive into the schedule, but uh, Notre Dame former Notre Dame quarterback Phil Dracovic, who transferred to BC in the winter, was declared by the NCAA to be immediate eligible. I am personally against the one-time transfer rule. Uh, I have been very adamant about that, but I also believe there should be a waiver process for players who need to be protected or players who uh, were lied to, treated poorly, or in in a unique circumstance. And and, uh, I'm not saying all of those things were accurate with Phil Dracovic, but there were certainly some. And so that's why I did support the fact that he did get a one-time waiver. But, Vince, this is certainly going to be big news for Boston College. And it's something that I think was the right thing to do. I hate the NCAA's inconsistency with this, but this was a waiver that absolutely needed to be granted based on what I know of the situation. 
Well, I will echo the fact that I am not a fan of the one-time waiver system. And to say that the NCAA has been inconsistent, I'd say, would be a nice way to put it. I'm trying to be a good boy today. I understand. I I think that they're a bunch of fools. And uh, depending on how high-priced of an attorney you can get, definitely goes a long way to whether you're going to be able to play immediately. And I think, frankly, it's ridiculous. I, I don't. There needs to be some oversight done to this whole process if they're going to continue to do it this way. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Now, with this particular situation, uh, from a Notre Dame fan standpoint, and frankly, somebody that has been a vocal uh, advocate of Phil Dracovic and what he brings to the table as a quarterback, I'm excited that he is going to be able to play against Notre Dame, assuming he does get the starting position at Boston College, which I think he probably will. Um, you know, as a Notre Dame fan, of course, I don't want him to go completely off that day and beat Notre Dame or but go I, off, but like Notre Dame wins 45, 42 and yes. he goes for like three fifty, runs for a hundred. I, I can absolutely that, as long as it's, you know, a Notre Dame win because I, I just, I think he just didn't get his just due, uh, at Notre Dame. And I don't know the reasoning why that is. I'm, I'm not that far on the inside. You are a little bit more on the inside than I am. Uh, you said that you you favored him getting his uh, release and, and being able to play immediately. Is there any light that you can shed on that at all? I know some of it's probably private, uh, you know, with parents and things like that, and you probably don't want to go too deep. Um, but I'm not privy to it, and so I was just curious if there's anything that uh, you'd like to put out there. Well, first, there are some things that, that went on behind the scenes that I can't share, and it's stuff that I've gathered from multiple sources and from all different angles, people pro-Dracovic, not pro-Dracovic, you know, all types of different things. And to me, th- there, was, there was malice done, in my opinion. Uh, this was a situation where this is a young man who could no longer trust uh, that he was being told the truth or trust that, that the coaching staff was going was gonna to really take the time to invest in developing him as a player. And it had become obvious that that they didn't they didn't have any intention of doing that. That that's a big part of it. I there were some other things that went on that just like you know that's just you shouldn't do that. That's not right. You shouldn't treat people that way, and you shouldn't say certain things. But the other part of it too is is something I've talked about publicly in, in the past, and that was the attempt at character assassination that that some folks at Notre Dame took after the Michigan game, when the cries for Phil Dracovic to be the quarterback were increasingly getting louder and louder because. Really, up to that point in time, Ian Book had not played well all season, really, uh, except against what? Bowling Green. And, uh, you know, he was coming off of an abysmal performance against Michigan. Abysmal performance. And there were a lot of people who said, hey, Phil Dracovic needs to get his shot. And, and I was one of those. And there was an attempt made. And I know this was an attempt made so because I. I had those conversations. People talked to me about it. Oh, you know, well, he's doing this, he's not doing that. And I'm like, you know, so like what I think, you know, what I was told a good reporter should do is you 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 try to talk to more sources as opposed to just taking someone at Notre Dame who clearly has an agenda's word for it and running with it. You do your homework. You talk to other people. And every time sure. I talk to somebody else that was close to the situation, like, yeah, that's that's not my experience regarding Phil Dracovic at all. You know, and, and the only thing that had any merit was a redshirt freshman whose coaches didn't spend a lot of time with him that they should uh, didn't always know the calls and you know shocker yeah you know right. what I mean um, right. as a football coach I cannot believe that a redshirt freshman <laughs> in a really complex <laughs> offense didn't know everything as well as the senior starter I just it's a pitiful that Phil he's a big idiot I can't believe he's that stupid 
you know, uh, I'm saying all of that sarcastically. So, of course. you know, but it just, it was unfortunate. You start talking about questioning his work ethic. People that had never seen him work out a day in their life were just running with what they were being told about how his work ethic wasn't good and all this. And, and I remember talking to, to somebody, a parent of a, of a teammate of his who, who wasn't necessarily close to Phil, but knew Phil. And, and I asked him about it and he said, he went and asked his kid about it. And he said, uh, yeah, my, my son said that, you know, uh, that's not the reputation that Phil has amongst his teammates. Now I I've talked to Phil's family about this. I, I think Phil needed to work smarter sometimes I think as someone who was a three-sport player in high school, someone who didn't play football year-round, there were a lot of things he needed to learn in regards to how to break down film, sure, how sure. to study an opponent, how to game plan, how to how to prepare yourself as the backup, how to prepare yourself as a starter. And I think those are things that he had to learn. But you know what? So do most college players, especially quarterbacks who like Phil, who didn't have college, you know, uh, position coaches their whole lives that work with them throughout the year. So. Uh, you know, that's what coaches at Notre Dame should be getting paid to do. Coaches that make six figures at Notre Dame should be getting paid to do. And so, it, you know, that was frustrating. So I, I chose not to, to, to go down that road because it was not my experience of, of, of Phil's as a prep player. And it was, you know, other than the people that clearly had an agenda, everyone that I reached out to said, yeah, that's not our experience with Phil. From an attitude standpoint, very yeah. well liked. You know, I had someone tell me, I had a, a customer of ours tell me, you know, I don't remember if it was on the board or if he if he said it to me personally, but he said, you know, he met a starter uh, the summer before the 2019 season. And, and the guy was like, yeah, you know, I'm expecting big things from me in book. And he's like, yeah, you know, but we love the kid coming up behind him. We think he's going to be a player. Well, why would, a, why would a veteran starter say that about a kid that doesn't work hard? Right. You know, who, who doesn't put in the work? You know, who, who, who doesn't make plays? Who doesn't make an impression? So... You know, and it was the writing was clearly on the wall that Brendan Clark was going to get any chance. Brendan Clark didn't have to do a whole lot to pass up Phil Dracovic because he's, uh, you know, he was recruited by the staff. Phil wasn't. Uh, you know, uh, he was a guy that you know, better fits what they're looking for. He's a guy that has potential to sit in the pocket. And, you know, there were people at Notre Dame telling anyone that would listen that, you know, Tyler Buckner was going to start as a freshman. Well, Phil Dracovic was supposed to be on the team in 2021. Right. So all of that to say, you know, I, I get why he did it, and it makes sense. And, and I'm just glad that it's kind of finally over with. Uh, he gets to go play ball. Notre Dame can move on with their guys. And now we can just kind of talk about Phil Dracovic as the Boston College quarterback when we get closer to that to that aspect of it. And we'll, we'll dive more into that specific aspect of it as we get into the schedule. The other part of it, Vince, was Kevin Austin. Yes. Uh, he has a, a broken foot, had surgery on July 29th. He is out. I was initially told last week, I was initially told by a source that he was out for the year. Uh, didn't want to run with it because I didn't, you know, broken foot didn't seem like a thing that would make someone be out for the year. Plus, I don't like to talk about injuries unless it's a situation where I know on really good authority that this is what the situation is. Yeah. Uh, and so Notre Dame announced yesterday that he was out. Uh, the person who told me he was out for the year reached out after the fact and said that after the surgery, the prognosis was a lot better. Uh, I've heard anything from six weeks to 10 weeks. So, uh, but either way, it's going to get him back this season. And you kind of feel bad for him because him not playing in 2019 was his fault. You know, he, he's the one that didn't do what he needed to do to get himself in position to play and do the right things. But from the beginning of the winter to now, Everything that I've heard, and you and I have talked about this, everything that you've heard about Kevin Austin is he's he's got his head on straight, he's turned himself around, and he's putting in the work. 
and he's doing everything he needs to do. So this right. was a little unfortunate, you know, because you wanted to see him kind of get rewarded. Because, hey, you know, if if I got judged the rest of my life on everything I did as a 19-year-old, I'd have trouble getting a job. I hear you. You know, and I definitely wouldn't have got married, you know. Uh, hear <laughs> so, that too. <laughs> so uh, it was good to see him turning things around because uh, I think he's a good kid. I just think he's a good kid that made, you know, some poor decisions like a lot of teenagers do, and he paid the price for it, and it was time to move on. So it's unfortunate that he's not going to be full speed, uh, you know, or he's not going to be healthy for the whole full season. The other scare, the, the other part is when he comes back, it's not like he's necessarily going to come back 100%. You know, right. he's coming back from a foot injury. It means he's going to go a period of time where he can't work out with his legs. He's going to be rusty route running, catching, and those kind of things. So it kind of puts his his 2020 season is going to now look be looked at a whole lot different than it otherwise would have had he been healthy and coming into the season. Yeah, and it's like you said, it is unfortunate because I think he, you know, we were looking at him as the heir apparent or however you want to put it, you know, Chase Claypool, Miles Boykin, he was going to kind of take on that next level role. Um, You know, even though he didn't play at all last year in games, that was still the role that we looked at him to be. So, you know, who's that going to be stepping forward? Is is it going to be a Ben Skoranek? Is it going to be um, Javon McKinley potentially? Um, I think that there's depth at that position, which I think is good. Uh, so we'll see where that take where that goes. But I, I I think that there's there's guys that can step in. I'm excited about the fact that he is not going to be out all season, and mm-hmm. he will potentially have an opportunity to come back because I think. You know, obviously there's some tough games down there on the back end of the schedule. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you hope that he would be back in time, obviously for the Clemson game. Um, cause that's when you want all hands on deck, mm-hmm. you know? And so, uh, hopefully he'll be back by then and no other big time starter has gone down to injury at that time. So, you know, prayers and blessings toward him and his family. Let's get him back and get him strong and get him healthy so that he's ready to go. Don't rush him back. I don't think that there's any point in rushing him back. Uh, I, I, I hope they take their time with him so that when he does come back, he's ready to go. Well, I, I think another piece of that, too, is, Vince, is the timing of it couldn't have been – well, I mean, the only thing that could have been better is if it happened earlier. But once you're here sure. for camp, but, you know, it's better to happen now than three weeks from now. Absolutely. You know, well, now they've that, already pushed yes, the schedule back two exactly. weeks from the original, right? Right. So now he's going to be – by the time they play their first game, he's going to be a month and a half away from his surgery. Uh, you know, because the, you know, his surgery is on July, uh, July 29th and the first game is now September 12th. Right. So that's certainly a positive, you know, so, you know, maybe they could get him back for that October 10th game against Florida state. Maybe it's a week or two later against Louisville or Pitt or Georgia tech. And we'll dive into that. But, um, unless it's on the longer end of 10 weeks, you know, he, he should be good. But even that 10 weeks, you know, that, that's going to get him from, you know, that, that gets him into the Louisville game. When you from ten weeks from a surgery, you know, because you're going to have four weeks of August, you know, and then the first six games of the year, that's that's the Louisville game, right? And then so then if it is ten weeks, he's still got Pitt and Georgia Tech before they play Clemson. So certainly a positive. See, so it, it is good that you know as long as like you said the rehab goes clean. And I'll say this about Notre Dame's medical staff, uh, especially in, in recent seasons. I've talked to parents of players and, and talked to players who have who've been injured and had significant injuries, and I've never heard one person say anything other than they do everything possible to to get your kid ready, but to do it safely. 
Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't, you know, and I had heard in the past that there were people who complained about that with Rob Hunt and the current group. I've never heard that stated by anyone who had an injury and, and the kids that wanted to come back and they'd be like, no, you're not ready. You know, or, or Hey, don't push so hard. Cause you're going to hurt yourself again. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like he's in good hands. I, I yeah. feel like he's in good hands. And I, and, and believe me, I wasn't, I wasn't saying that in detriment to what the staff brings. Yeah, to the no, table I, I, I wasn't that. saying that you so were, I just, I just yeah, no, I wasn't saying you were, I just wanted to, you know, when, look, you know how I am, Vince, if, if Notre Dame deserves to be criticized for something, I'm going to criticize them for it. <laughs> right. If they deserve to be praised for something, I'm going to praise them for it. And this is something that, especially in recent years that I've, I've heard a lot of positives about in regards to, you know, the medical staff and the training staff at Notre Dame and, and, and kudos to them. Cause that's a very important, it doesn't get a lot of credit, but that's a very important part of a program, not just making sure they're looking out for the young people, but also if you don't have a good training, training staff, you're not number one, you're going to, you're going to struggle to stay healthy and you're going to struggle to get back healthy and, and not only get back healthy, but you know, like medically, but healthy to play football. Well, and, and I, I've worked very closely with the training staff in my summer gig uh, normally obviously got canceled this year but uh for the past 10 years i've worked really closely with the training staff at notre dame and and something that is interesting to me is they don't have an athletic training program at notre dame and so they don't have the legions of hands to really help them out mm-hmm. like a lot of other schools do mm-hmm. and and what they're able to accomplish and uh with the numbers that they have and the facilities that they operate in, I think are absolutely amazing. And and it's a great group. Like you said, Rob Hunt is a great guy. Uh, I think that there's just that whole group that I get to work with uh, during the summers that they're top notch. And so I didn't want anybody to think that was, I was saying that they're going to rush him back. Yeah. Uh, but, I didn't uh, take it that way. And, yeah. and that's not why I responded <laughs> the way that I did. Uh, now regarding who replaces him, I think this is a big opportunity for Javon McKinley. Big opportunity for Javon McKinley. Uh, absolutely. And he's yes. a guy that if he – you know, look, I've said this in the past. There were times the last two years when I talked to coaches at Notre Dame and sources at Notre Dame that would say, you know, man, for two weeks – for the last two weeks, our best receiver has been Javon McKinley. This is when Chase Claypool was on campus last year and then the year before when Claypool and Miles Boykin were on campus. Mm-hmm. And then he would just kind of disappear or he'd get hurt or he'd – whatever. Uh, if he can be focused and healthy – uh, he could have a big year. He could he could be the breakout guy that everybody thought Kevin Austin was going to be. There's not a doubt in my mind, and that's not based off what he did in high school. You know, because I once you get to high once you get to college, I don't care what you did in high school. Like when people say, "Well, you think Phil Jerkovic's great because of what he did in high school?" No, not really. I look at the tools I see when he's practicing at Notre Dame and when he got in last year. And yeah. This guy who can't throw a spiral somehow magically completes seventy five percent of his passes. Uh, you know, uh, and makes plays with his legs. It's, it's. I see Javon McKinley in practice. There are times we've seen him where he just he can't, can't guard him physically, can't guard him. And and then when I talk to sources that tell me how good he is, and 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 you talk to DBs who will talk about how good he like man, just, I'm covering him in like this ball. This guy's such great body control. He's so strong that he'll go make plays. So he's got to step up. And this is where we're going to find out if Tommy Reese is different than Brian Kelly and past offensive coordinators. And that is, if you can't get Jordan Johnson ready to play this year, hmm. then that's on you. I'm right. sorry. Well, this obviously opens up a door for him, yes. too. Oh, I tremendous mean, opportunity for him. Yeah. yeah. So, so you know, I don't want to hear that he doesn't know the playbook crap. I don't want to hear that nonsense. Oh, he's just a freshman. Fine. Okay, if he can only run four routes, then you put him in the flipping <laughs> game and you let him run those four routes and you right. get him the flipping ball. Like every other great program in the country does. Okay, 
and especially when you have injuries. It, so so I don't want to see some nonsense about Jordan Johnson not playing and they're talking about he's got to learn. Don't look, I'll learn the playbook. Oh, I don't, if I hear that, I'm telling you, Vince, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to absolutely lose it if I hear that. You got a five-star receiver. Now, I, I didn't grade him quite as a five-star. I graded him as a four-and-a-half-star, which is like a top 50 guy, not a top 25 guy. He's still okay. really good. Yeah, I was going to say, um, that's, 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 that's the split yeah, hairs, as yeah, they say. right. You're either elite or you're really close to being elite. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's who he is. It's not like, uh, they had him as a five-star. I had him as a three-star. It's not that kind of conversation. If you can't get that kid ready to play, if you can't get Xavier Watts ready to play, then, then, then I got to question who you are as a coaching staff. I got a question if Dell Alexander's the guy that you need to roll with. I got a question if Brian Kelly's the guy to to you know he should just like remove yourself from the offense and go hire someone mm-hmm. that can do it. Like I don't know, like a Joe Moorhead or a Todd Munkin, just just like random names that I'm throwing out there. Um, so you know, so but if they do it, then I, then great. You know, I'm hoping that Tommy Reese kind of you know as a young player. Uh, you know, you really think Tommy Reese knew the entire playbook when he was a true freshman? Maybe because it was year one in the staff and they didn't have everything in. Maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he was wicked smart. I think he is wicked smart. But most kids aren't going to know the playbook as a freshman. Right. Especially, you know, after a month of fall camp. So uh, I want to see Coach Reese and I want to see the rest of the offensive staff say, okay, uh, take the Clark Lee approach of, okay, don't tell me what they can't do. Tell me what they can do. Okay, so all that Jordan Johnson can do is run slants, hitches, Go routes and comebacks, cool. Well, he's going to play 20 snaps a game, and we're going to make sure he, he he runs those routes, and we're going to make sure we're targeting him when he's in the game. All Xavier Watts can do is crossing routes, slant routes, corner routes, and seams, cool. That's all we're going to ask him to do. But we're right. going to make sure we get him the ball because that's called good coaching. Yeah. And I would like to see that from this offensive staff. So uh, we'll see kind of how that goes. Uh, second year in a row for Notre Dame to be top, in the top ten of the coaches' poll. Last year they were ninth. Uh, finished the season outside the top ten, uh, which a lot of Notre Dame fans were upset about because they went eleven to two, but they went eleven to two without beating anyone. The only ranked team they True. played was Navy, um, or also the only ranked team they beat was Navy, and obviously they had a close loss to Georgia and then a, a beat down by Michigan, who ranked what eighteenth, I think, um, at the end of the year. So, uh, but obviously high expectations for Notre Dame coming in the season, ranked tenth. That and anytime you start off that high, it, it's obviously going to give you a great chance to. You know, you don't have to win a lot of games or not a lot of teams have to lose for you to really climb up those rankings. So, uh, it's good to see that. Now, let's talk about the schedule. Yes. Okay. Here's Notre Dame's 2020 football schedule, and I was very excited to see this for one reason and one reason only, and that is it's just like this is just one step closer to playing football. Now, I know that we're not still not guaranteed not anything, and there's still plenty of things that could happen um, that I don't really care to talk about because I'm sick of talking about this topic, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you. Uh, so we're just going to talk football today. But uh, September 12th is when the season starts. Notre Dame hosts Duke. A week later, they, September 19th, they host Western Michigan. That is an originally scheduled game. Uh, that also is Notre Dame's non-conference game, which means there's no Navy and there's now no there's no USC and now there's no Navy on the on the 2020 schedule. We'll talk about that in a little bit. September 26th at Wake Forest. That was also a previously scheduled game, so they kept uh, three games they kept in their previous place. Uh, October 3rd is a bye week. October 10th, they have a home game against Florida State. October 17th, they have a home game against Louisville, which is good for Louisville because Louisville is going to have to play Notre Dame really late in the season, which meant it was going to be really cold. So yeah. now they get mid-October, which isn't exactly going to be like 95-degree weather, but still not like That's, it would have been like yeah. you know November 21st or whatever. Uh, October 24th, they play at Pitt. 
October 31st, it's their only back-to-back road games of the year. Uh, October 31st, they play at Georgia Tech. And then November 7th, they still play Clemson at home on November 7th. I was surprised that they did not move Clemson earlier in the year, but I'm glad that they didn't from a Notre Dame standpoint. November 14th at Boston College. Then Notre Dame has a bye week. Then on Friday, uh, November 27th, the day after Thanksgiving, Notre Dame uh, will play at North Carolina. And then they wrap the season up a week later at home, December 5th against Syracuse. It is the first time since 1993 that Notre Dame has finished the regular season at home. Uh, And it is the first time since, I believe, 1997 or 98 that they haven't finished the season in in, uh, California because there was a time in the late 90s where they finished it at Hawaii. So, uh, interesting schedule, Vince. Uh, give me some of your early thoughts on the schedule, some of your initial thoughts on the schedule, and then I'll, I'll kind of dive into mine, just more big picture, and then we'll kind of dive into some specific topics regarding uh, regarding schedule. So, so what were your initial thoughts when you saw this? So, the first thing that jumped out at me is that Notre Dame has a home game in December, which could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're playing Syracuse December 5th. So, that's the first thing that jumped out as I was just looking at dates. The second thing... You already mentioned the fact that Clemson is still November 7th, which I'm very happy about, and I'm hoping for a blizzard. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, well, then you're driving when we go to the stadium. You're driving that day, okay? <laughs> and, that, of course, that's assuming we're watching on Zoom or whatever, too, right, I guess. But, right. uh, you know, I would love to welcome Clemson to a snowstorm. Um, so that jumped out at me as well. Obviously, the lack of Navy on the schedule was a glaring omission. I understand why, because Notre Dame is adhering to the ACC's mandate that your non-conference game needs to be played uh, in the home state of an ACC opponent or of an ACC team. Um, so I get it. Uh, the game was supposed to be away, and there are no ACC teams in Maryland, so uh, they can't do that. And, and I get it. So Notre Dame is is you know it's still weird to hear people say that there's not an ACC team in Maryland. My first thought is yes, there is. I know. I did the same thing. <laughs> I did the same thing, and I'm like, well, no, actually, there's not. So it, it's unfortunate. I really wanted them to play Navy this year. I understand why they're not doing it. And from a coaching standpoint, I also understand why it might be a benefit because you don't have to worry about that particular offense, et cetera. Uh, so it's just one less thing, one less headache that you have to, to worry about. So I get it. Um, the other thing was, was, you know. Can I say one thing on that real quick, Vince? Yeah, go ahead. If I drank alcohol, which I don't. And if I, if I was Clark Lee, which I'm not, and if I was Mike Elson, which I'm not, but if I was any of those three things, I'd be throwing back some beers today when they announced that you're not playing Navy. I, that's what I'm saying. I, I didn't want to make a huge deal out of it. Because for the defensive – I mean, for offensive coaches, it doesn't matter. It but doesn't for defensive coaches, it's, just like, it's such a pain in the butt. It and, is. And especially for the defensive line coach because everything you teach in every other game Goes is completely done – when you're playing Navy, yes. it, it is really a pain, which is, you know, yes. a lot of Notre Dame fans are okay with that. But yeah, I, I just kind of thought about that. But but please continue with your thoughts. I just I just <laughs> kind of popped in my head and I thought that was funny. No, you're absolutely right. And that, that I didn't want to go too deep, obviously, but the coaches are happy. I, mm-hmm. It just is what it is. Uh, because every other team on this slate plays some sort of, you know, spread offense. Because Georgia Tech doesn't run the option anymore either. Correct. Yeah, and, and that, that was the other thing. If Georgia Tech still ran the option, 
have Navy on there because you know playing back to back, you're killing two birds with one stone. <laughs> right. I mean, that's great. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, Georgia Tech is not doing that anymore. The other thing that I found interesting is that Wake Forest is still going to play in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found that to be interesting because the other games that were going to be in NFL stadiums, uh, obviously outside of Pitt because that is their home stadium, right. Heinz Field. Uh, but they're still going to keep that game in Charlotte. And the other thing is that the ACC championship will also be in that that same stadium. Mm-hmm. So I thought that Which was would make sense. Interesting. I mean, the league has clearly sanctioned that stadium as being usable for the, yes. the league championship. Right. Why well, can't Wake Forest play there? Yeah. No, I agree. Right. I, so I think... I also think maybe that was kind of Wake Forest kind of giving a big middle finger to Notre Dame who had said, like, we, we want all games moved on to campus. Hey, I'm you okay know? with that, too, to be honest with you. So, so I, But I think it works out for Notre Dame because, let's say they do play in the national – or not national, the conference championship, they at least have experience yeah. and familiarity from in the same season. In the locker room, season. the hotel. Exactly. Yeah. But here, here's my question on events. I don't know how much sense this makes for Wake Forest to keep to, – to be stubborn – to sure. stubbornly keep that game because – I don't see that stadium being full. NFL teams aren't allowing those stadiums to be Correct. full. I don't see anyone allowing full stadiums this year. And again, we can argue whether that's right or wrong. I don't really care that's to do that today. That's not the point of this podcast. They're not going to have full stadiums this year. And the reality is, is playing at Notre Dame in Charlotte with X amount of people is going to look a lot more um, empty and feel a lot more empty than you playing on your home campus. Well, so, I, I so, look at it from a financial standpoint. But that's my but that's kind of the point though. And, yeah. and that's where I'm coming from is like when when you play when you're Wake Forest, it's like when people why does Syracuse give up home games against Notre Dame? Because they're gonna make a lot more money because they're gonna go play at MetLife and have, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand more people and, and do all this other kind of stuff. Well, same thing here. If the game was in Charlotte, it makes sense because it's a much bigger stadium and they would get a much bigger cut, you know, from from playing Notre Dame, but that's not gonna be the case this year. So it really doesn't, to me, it didn't make sense as to why Wake Forest stuck with that game other than, I mean, I really can't think of a, a legitimate reason, but I, I did find that kind of interesting that they, that Wake Forest is, is adamantly keeping that game in, in Charlotte this year. I would have tried to say, hey, look, next time we play you, we're going to, we're going to play it in Charlotte, you know, in a year where, you know, maybe people could actually go and watch them play. I've played in an NFL stadium that didn't have a lot of people in it. And it is a weird vibe. Whereas Wake Forest has an open stadium, you know, so there's no fans really in in the one end zone, and there's not really any fans in the other end zone. So when you're looking forward as a player, it, it you see the same thing whether the place is full to your left and right or not. Right. And and so, but in an NFL stadium, completely different, completely different. Well, and and here here's. I'm trying to justify this in my head. So there, there's going to be a rental fee of the stadium, and, I, and we don't know what that is, okay? But there's going to be a rental fee, and so you need to sell X amount of tickets to cover the rental fee. Tickets, mm-hmm. concessions, whatever the deal happens to be. A lot of times those NFL stadiums will keep the... But you've got to make money to cover the expense. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to put myself in Wake Forest shoes... Their stadium holds 31,500 people. So at best, you're going to be half full. It's 15,000, let's say. Okay. The Panthers stadium in Charlotte holds 75,000. So you'll be able to get more in if you're going half full. So maybe that helps cover. And maybe you, maybe they looked at it as, okay, even with a half full stadium, we're going to make more money, even with the rental fee, if we have it in Charlotte. Than if we have it at home, maybe, but 
at the end of the day, I just don't see how this benefits Wake Forest more than it benefits Notre Dame. I think it benefits Notre Dame way more than the Demon Deacons. I agree. I agree with that. So, uh, any other thoughts on the schedule, Vince? Anything that stood out to you? There, there's some interesting stretches. You know, obviously, I, I thought it was interesting that the the home slate for Notre Dame is kind of front ended. They have a lot more home games up front than they do towards the end. Um, but I don't think that that really matters a whole lot, especially since you know the places that they're going to be going are going to be a little warmer. Mm-hmm. So that's okay too. So except that November fourteenth game of Boston College, that's not that could be, be cold. Yeah, that could be cold. very cold. I agree with you. But uh, yeah, that that's about it. I mean it. You can look at this schedule a lot of different ways. You can look at it, you know, in in groups of threes. You could look at it as homes and away, you know, all that kind of different stuff. But honestly, uh, when it's all said and done, I think Notre Dame did pretty well in the schedule department. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think a couple minor observations that I that I thought uh, I thought the start was great for Notre Dame. It's an ideal start. Correct. Uh, you know, one thing that Urban Meyer had said earlier in the the summer, he said, you know, you you want to have an experienced quarterback veteran offensive line Notre Dame has both of those things and then you want an early you want an easy early schedule and with all due respect to to Duke you know Notre Dame plays two teams in week one and week two they should steamroll and then even their their quote-unquote you know challenging game against Wake Forest it's not a game that should really be all that challenging you know I I think Wake's got some good players at spot you know Carlos Bashman Sage Surratt are as good as anyone they're going to play at those positions but overall the talent level is not where you want it to be and and then there's a bye week right be, you know, so so there's a good month where if Notre Dame's not three and zero going to that Florida State game, then something disastrous happened. I completely agree with you. You know, I, I thought that I thought the Syracuse game at the end of the year was smart by the ACC. Uh, you send an ACC team up to Notre Dame in December that is used to the cold, because even though point. they have an indoor stadium, their players are used to being in the cold. They're cold yeah. every time they walk to campus. They're right. cold every time they walk to the football facility. Right. Probably colder than. Notre Dame students, yeah, and I would, and, and I, I, I'm not 100 percent sure on this, but I believe they have outdoor facilities that they could easily practice in, uh, if they, you know, if they sure. wanted to, you know, practice in elements. So I, I thought that was a you know, smart by the ACC. If we're, you know, the sacrificial lamb being Syracuse to finish that Notre Dame, you send a team that's from a cold climate as opposed to you know like poor Florida State having to come up here on December 5th or something like that. Like that would have been mean. You know, it's like, hey, let's let's make I'm sure Mike Norville hates his first year at Notre Dame, so let's send him up or at Florida State, so let's send him up to South Bend on December fifth. <laughs> you right. know that that wouldn't have gone overly well, but um, I thought early start was easy. Uh, I think that it's a very doable finish. Yes, North Carolina is arguably the second or third best team Notre Dame is going to face. It's a road game, which is challenging, but it comes after a bye week, uh, and, and it comes later in the season. Mm-hmm. So I thought it's a very doable finish, and then of course you get Syracuse at home. Uh, I thought, I honestly, my overall opinion is Vince, the ACC continues to do what I've said they've been doing, which is do whatever you have to do to make Notre Dame happy. Yeah, sure. That's what I thought of when I looked at the schedule. Like they are doing everything possible to make Notre Dame happy, and here's what I mean by that: they did not move the Clemson game. Right. If they would have moved the Clemson game to earlier in the year, it would have looked like a pro ACC move that they were trying to help an ACC team and hurt Notre Dame. The fact that they left that game at November 7th, knowing it's probably going to be cold, although it may be like the Notre Dame-Florida State game back in 93 when everybody was like, oh, Florida State's going to be so cold, and it was like a beautiful, sunny day. I know. Day, it was like you one know? of the nicest days ever. <laughs> I know. But, you know, the expectations is going to be cold, and it's later in the year, and 
you know, so that was a, a benefit for Notre Dame. The early, you know, starting Duke and Wake Forest early, giving them a bye before Florida State. They've got a bye before North Carolina. So you could argue, and I don't rank it this way, but like I think Ryan Palmieri, one of the writers at Irish Breakdown, had a response to my when I ranked the top ten ACC teams. He he argued that he would have Florida State a lot higher because of their talent, and I I think he's right on that. I rank them lower because I'm not sure if that talent's going to turn into production in year one. Sure. And I do have some question marks about the coaching staff that Mike Norvell put together. But if he, if Mike Norvell does in year one what Scott Satterfield did at Louisville in year one, they're they're going to be a really good football team because they have more talent, even more talent than Louisville did. Louisville had great offensive talent, and I think Florida State does as well. Louisville didn't have very much defensive talent. Florida State's got a lot of defensive talent. So, uh, you know, so Florida State could be a challenge. North Carolina is going to be a challenge. Notre Dame gets a bye week before both of them. And they get Louisville and Florida State at home back-to-back. Rather than home game against Florida State, traveling to Pitt, and then home game against Louisville, they get to stay home for both of those, which comes after a bye. So it's bye, Florida State, Louisville at home. I think that was positive. And then you, the week before you play uh, Clemson, you play arguably the weakest team on your schedule in Georgia Tech. Yeah, true. So, you know, I, I thought they did them a lot of favors, a lot of favors. And, and yeah, they have some tough – I mean, they had to have some tough road games, right? But I thought the, that the way they set it up was another example of, hey, Notre Dame, we're going to treat you right. You know what I mean? As Which is another really smart move by Swafford to say, do whatever you can do to get Notre Dame into your league. And the other thing, too, is selfishly, even if they don't really care about that, selfishly – Let's be real, right? Commissioners and, and presidents and all those people that really are, are the quote-unquote decision makers, they want to make money. Of course right? they do. And, and the league knows what game, what ACC title game is going to make the most money for them. <laughs> it's not mm. even a question. It's mm. Notre Dame and Clemson. The ACC title game has been a stinker oh, ever gosh. since Clemson got to be good. Oh, yes. Let's be oh, honest. yes. Oh, yes. I mean, it, it, it and, and so – and even if they kill Notre Dame, it won't matter because you're going to have every ACC team tuning in to root against Clemson or to root against Notre Dame, and then you're right. going to have the rest of the country watching to root against Notre Dame. Sure. You know how every, Big Ten fans, SEC fans, Big 12 fans, Pac-12 fans, they're going to watch the ACC title game because they want to see Notre Dame get embarrassed sure. because they got this whole mantra of Notre Dame shouldn't join. You know, They have an easy schedule you know, every year, and if they should join a league because it's going to be harder, they're going to want to watch Notre Dame go get embarrassed in the ACC title game. And then, of course, every Notre Dame fan is going to be watching because it's the first time in their lifetimes that they've seen Notre Dame play for a conference championship. Yeah, and anybody's so lifetime. So that right? would make so much money. There would oh. be so many TV ratings for that. It would be insane, the TV ratings for that. Uh, so, yes, it's smart of, of the ACC to let's give Notre Dame – it's like, Notre Dame, if you screw this up, that's on you. <laughs> if you can't get to the ACC title game, that's on you guys. Uh, okay, we're trying to make so this as easy as possible without taking Clemson off of your regular season schedule. That's the only thing they could have done to make it even easier, which I think would have been – that would have probably pissed a lot of people off. Like, okay, seriously, why don't you just put Notre Dame – why don't you just give Notre Dame an automatic pass to the ACC, ACC title game at that point? They did. You know, if they would have taken Clemson off, I'm saying. Oh yeah, uh, right, right. You right. know, but you still have that Clemson game. But but really, they're they're making it as like, hey guys, please don't screw this up. Okay, we really want to get the. If we're only gonna have you for one year, we want to maximize this as much as we can in as we could in a pandemic situation. You know, and that's sure. gonna mean, you know, a uh, 15 million viewers for the ACC title game. You know, 
So, um, and, and I think the other thing is, uh, the schedule is a lot easier now than it was before, in my opinion. Oh, and, and, and when you, and, and that's, what's kind of funny is all these people like, well, you know, Oh, I'm so sick of Notre Dame playing easy schedules, which is really one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life. And, and look, I've made the case Notre Dame schedules in recent years have been a lot easier. Uh, just because some teams are down, USC's down, Stanford's down, sure. and there's nothing Notre Dame can, can do to control that. I mean, normally, you know, like 2018, for example, you get Stanford at home, USC on the road, and Michigan at home. That That's supposed to be three top 15 teams. That's what, had, At least that's what's been in the past. And you had Georgia. Uh, uh, 2018, I'm talking about. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, 2018. Uh, you, you couldn't really control that those teams were down. You had Virginia Tech on the road. They were down. I mean, on paper, that looked like a brutal schedule. It just didn't turn out that way because some teams didn't, didn't weren't as good as they, as they should have been, you know, that season. But uh, when, you, when you look at Notre Dame in, in the past, I mean, especially in the 90s, and, and I mean, the schedules were just ridiculously stupid. So anyone that thinks that Notre Dame joining a league means they're going to play a tougher schedule, the only way that would have been it happened as if they had joined the Big Ten East or the SEC West. Right. And even then, okay, because, okay, yeah, so now they got to play Ohio State. Well, then they wouldn't schedule Georgia. Right. You, you know, they wouldn't schedule, you know, teams like that. They would just play that game, you know, and, and they would do what Ohio State does and play a bunch of nobodies in their non-conference. Exactly. Uh, you know, so uh, when you look at what they lost from the schedule, they lost 11-2 Navy, they lost 10-4 and Wisconsin, 8-5 and USC, Four and eight Stanford and two and ten Arkansas. They added seven and six North Carolina, six and seven Florida State, six and seven Boston College, who they beat forty to seven last year, and five and seven Syracuse. Uh, top ten or top twenty-five rankings came out today. Uh, Wisconsin and USC were both, uh, I think, twelfth and seventeenth, respectively. North Carolina was nineteenth. So you did have to play one, twelve, seventeen. Now you play one and nineteen. Right. So I certainly think the schedule got easier. I don't think it's exponentially easier because I think a case could be made that you dropped Arkansas and Stanford who weren't good and you added, you know, BC and Florida State who are quality teams, maybe a Syracuse. But so maybe there's a little bit more depth to the schedule, but there's no one on on, on the schedule that has the kind of roster USC was going to have other than Clemson, but Clemson was already on the schedule. Well, and and you're depth to this schedule, but the top end is nowhere near Not even where close. it was. And I don't I mean, think the depth is you, that you improved. Drop, yeah, it's you, just a little bit improved. I would correct. say correct. It's just a little bit because you drop you drop Arkansas mm-hmm. and you pick up guys that you know. The, Arkansas had two wins. You're picking up teams with five and six. Yeah. So I mean, it's a little bit better. Um, and you, you know, you, you don't want to take any of these teams for granted, correct. obviously. But at the same time. It's just different. I mean, you're not having to go play Wisconsin at Lambeau Field. I mean, just all the hype and everything surrounding mm-hmm. that all by itself. You know, you're not playing USC, who's just your natural rival. It's on always the road. a big game on the road, last game of the year. And that last game of the year holds an amazing amount of significance because it's the be-all, end-all for what you're going to be doing in the postseason. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're going to be playing a team that is stacked with talent. Right. I mean, they were five and seven two years ago, and they gave Lost Notre Dame the everything they, they could I handle. Mean, you know, yes, and, so, and they always will. I'm sorry, right. they're they're USC is never going to have a problem recruiting. What's funny? Okay? I don't is, care how bad the coaching staff is. What's funny is the one time Notre Dame beat the absolute crap out of USC in the last ten years was you at one of USC's best teams. Isn't that funny? Like, think about it. That no, 2017 right. home, team, yeah. yeah, they won eleven games that year. 
Yep. And Notre Dame yeah. curb stomped them. I mean, they just took the life out. They, <laughs> they, they reached yeah. into their chest, took out their hearts. Yes. I mean, it was yes. It was embarrassing. It was well, if you're a USC fan, I kind of enjoyed it. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I enjoyed it too. Uh, I mean, I, but but you look at last year, it was an eight and five USC team. It's a decent USC team, but you know they battled Notre Dame. Notre Dame led almost the entire game. USC kicked a field goal early, and then Notre Dame ended up going up like seventeen to three. And USC right. made it competitive, but. You know, you look at the 2015 game, was a back-and-forth affair. Notre Dame jumped on them early. USC came back and tied it in the fourth quarter, and then Notre Dame pulled away by 10. That was an 8-6 and six USC team. You know, and, and and that was the one beatdown Notre Dame really gave them was the best team the best team that Notre Dame faced at home. I still think the best USC team Notre Dame has faced in the last decade was that 2016 team mm-hmm. because that was the team that got just obliterated by um, Alabama to start the season without Sam Darnold at quarterback. And when they finally, I think they started that season like wasn't it like one and three something like that. Yeah, and lost to Stanford and Utah. And then by the end of the year, that team was playing about as well as anybody in the country. Remember they went on the they went on the road that year and beat Washington, who, who ended up being a playoff right. team. Beat them by two touchdowns at their place. Beat Notre Dame and then beat Penn State in one of the most fun and exciting bowl games that we've seen in a long time in the Rose Bowl. So, uh, but those two USC teams, Notre Dame battled as well as they battled you know at all, especially in 2016. That was a, a competitive game. They had a pick six for a touchdown, a kick return for a touchdown, a punt return for a touchdown. You know, take those away and it's a ball game. Uh, so you don't have that game, and and you know and, and Florida State is the one team you could say is comparable to USC talent-wise. But Florida State's in year one of a coaching turnover. USC is is more established and ha- is a little bit more veteran. So uh, I definitely think – and you look at the old schedule, the opponent record of the old schedule is 88-67. and 67. Mm-hmm. The record of the new schedule is 77-65. and 65. So definitely a a, yeah. a tougher schedule. That regards, when you and I were on the radio uh, was about a week ago, and we were kind of talking about the new schedule. I said I think you can make a strong case that that the schedule is is definitely deeper. That was with the assumption that they were going to try to figure something out to play Navy, because then you you know instead of Western Michigan who went seven and six, you'd have eleven and two Navy. Yeah, right. Then I think you could have made the case that yeah, okay, they they lost some top top level talent, but it's a deeper schedule now because sure. you lose Arkansas, you lose Western Michigan. And you add, you know, Florida State and North Carolina and, and BC and such, uh, but uh, I, I definitely think the schedule is is softer now. There's honestly, there's no reason for Notre Dame not to be a ten, at least a ten and one regular season team. I'm sorry, there, there's just not. I mean, it doesn't mean you just cakewalk and sleepwalk through everybody, but there's not a team on there not named Clemson that you shouldn't beat. And, and look, you're in year eleven of Brian Kelly's tenure, and yeah, Clemson's phenomenal, but. This isn't quite as good of a Clemson team, in my opinion, especially defensively as they've had in recent years. You're in year 11, and you're at home. If you can't do it now, when are you going to do when, it? When's it going to happen? That's right. The, yeah, I agree. Right. So, so I think that was that's something that stood out. But it's a tremendous opportunity for Brian Kelly as well be, for yes. the exact reasons I just said. If he can, if he finally gets that win and go, if he goes 11-0 and and beats Clemson at home, assuming Clemson doesn't have like nine starters out with COVID-19 or whatever, <laughs> right. you know, or half their team hasn't checked out for the NFL draft or whatever, assuming that's not the case and you beat them, then okay, yeah, okay, cool. props to you. you. You finally, you know, you finally beat somebody worth a darn. Uh, you know, so so that would be good. So it's going to be a big environment. It just stinks that that's not going to be in front of a packed house. Yeah. That's yes. the thing that still bothers me about the whole situation. But uh let me ask you this, Vince. As you look at the schedule, mm-hmm. what would you say is the toughest stretch in the schedule? Now, and that includes games. So I'm going to say three games. 
Okay. And it do, it doesn't have to include it, it, like bye weeks don't count as a game. So if right. it's like so you squeeze those out of there. Correct. So like if it's three games including so if it's four weeks but three games then it's three games. What would you say is the toughest three game schedule on there? Cuz I think you could make a case for a couple different ones. Yeah. I I think the it's the tempting. obvious one is whatever with with exactly Clemson, I was gonna say, BC, and North Carolina. Right? It, it, it's tempting to one. go right for Clemson and find two other teams that you know hitch up with Clemson and make that your stretch. I think that for that. Um, but looking at the schedule, and we kind of talked about it, uh, you know, a few minutes ago. This is a great start for Notre Dame, and I and I think the first three games followed by a bye week are. It just lays out really nicely. Yeah. Very similar to the way that uh, the last schedule worked out. It was going to be a fairly easy upfront schedule that they could ease their way into and really get guys reps that needed to get reps and really find out the identity of your team. And I think they're still going to have that opportunity. Well, after that bye week, as you had mentioned, then you get Florida State at home, you get Louisville at home, and then you get Pitt on the road. And if anybody ever listens to you on other platforms, uh, your your trumpet for uh, Pitt and Louisville is high and loud, and yeah. everybody better be paying attention, um, because y- you and I both believe, uh, you know, Scott Satterfield obviously thing going at Louisville, um, in influx more talent, uh, but at the same time, there's talent there, and right. I think that's going to be a very. I mean, Mackay Beckton, the I, left tackle, has that lost. game at home. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Vince. Right. Yeah, they were super young last year. I remember talking about that game uh, with you. They were super young. What we said before the the season was, you you and I said before the season, because this is when the one small period of time where we were previously working together, uh, I was still at the other place at the time, is that's that's a game you're like, thank gosh, that's at the beginning of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because they don't have a chance to get their legs underneath them, you know, with the new system, et cetera. So that being in the middle and being at home, uh, I think it's gonna be a tough game. And then obviously Florida State, they're loaded with talent. If they can, mm-hmm. if they can somehow figure out to all go in the same direction at the same time, it's gonna they're be a this game. year's Florida State or this year's Louisville with even Correct. better players. And, and that's a dangerous game. I'm happy mm-hmm. Notre Dame has a bye week ahead of that game, no question. Uh, but that's gonna be a tough game. And I think Pitt at Pitt, look, Pitt gives Notre Dame a hard time. You know, they're, they're a lunch pail team. They're, they're going to bring it to you. Um, you know, they're going to be inspired by their amazing uniforms. Uh, so I think that's important to understand. Uh, obviously, that was a joke, but I love their uniforms. <laughs> um, but I think, I think you could make a case for that three-game stretch. Yeah. Florida State, Louisville, Pitt, um, and then it obviously drops off at Georgia Tech. So I think that's a nice three-game in a row where Notre Dame is really going to have to figure out who they are um, and that's going to set them up for the rest of the season. Yeah, and so much of this toughest game stretch is going to be determined by how two teams project, and that's how does Florida State play to their potential and for how sure. does North Carolina play to their potential. Yes. And, and and that's the thing is if North Carolina is the team that people think they're going to be this year, and I'm just still I, – I, look, I put them, I think, third in my top ten opponents mm-hmm. breakdown. Uh, I could see them sliding down to fifth just because, you know – they're still their talent level is good, but it's still not great. You take Sam Howell off that team, and no one's talking about them being a you know a nine win team, which is what some people had predicted they would be on the previous schedule. 
uh, and a team that's a, a lock to win their division, which obviously now there aren't divisions. But that was the preseason hype around about North Carolina. And it, it was twofold, in my opinion. It was, well, threefold. Number one, it was Sam Howell, the quarterback, who had a great freshman year, 38 touchdowns, seven picks as a true freshman. It's Mac Brown being yeah. a, a great coach who's, you know, has a national championship and has, you know, rebuilt built North Carolina once, left, went and went, you know, built Texas into a title contender, retired, came back, and is doing great things at North Carolina already. And the fact that the third part of it is the fact that of their six losses last year, not one was by more than a touchdown. Not one. They were in every game. Well, that doesn't just – and they have 17 starters coming back. But that doesn't automatically mean they're going to now be a 9-10-1 team. I still have to see it. And I still don't think their talent is such that they can just kind of show up and, and just automatically beat a bunch of people. I, I, don't, think the, I don't think they have a, a better overall roster than Louisville. I don't think they have a better overall roster than Florida State. I think they have better coaching than Florida State, even with the coaching change. Uh, and they have a, fin- a much, much better quarterback. But uh, so, but if they're as good as people think, then, then, then North Carolina, it, it's hard for me to go against Clemson and, and North Carolina because sure. part of it, too, comes down to I think Boston College is going to be better than people think. And, and I thought this before Phil Dracovic was given eligibility because you, you, know, you know my nickname for the previous head coach at Boston College, right? Seven Win Steve. <laughs> right, I remember that. You know, to me, his conservative nature as a coach, his stubbornness as a coach created problems that the roster couldn't fix. And the, and the roster was better than I think people people realize. I think coming back, they have – it was, oh, they lose A.J. Dillon, and A.J. Dillon was a tremendous player. But David Bailey was really good last year too. He was actually a high school teammate of Jamion Franklin. Big physical back, athletic, you know, ran for 844 yards last year, 5.7 yards per carry, seven touchdowns while splitting carries with a guy like A.J. Dillon. You know, talented back. Went for 181 yards against NC State. Went for 172 yards against Syracuse. Went for 67, 5.6 per carry against Florida State. This kid can play. They have elite the three or four starters coming back on the offensive line, including their two best starters. And I think their skill talent is better than people realize. I just think it was poorly utilized. I think when you look at their receiving core with Hunter Long at tight end, he's a quality player. 28 catches for 509 yards last year. That's a good player. Kobe White comes back. Zay Flowers is a talented kid. Uh, there's some players there to work with. They just weren't utilized. And I think they're going to be utilized with Frank Signetti as the offensive coordinator. And then, you know, Jeff Halfley is a completely different kind of guy than Steve Adazio. Not better, not worse, just different. He's younger. He's energetic. He's, you know, he's going to be fire. He's going to bring a lot of that, 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 that swagger with him that, that I think, you know, as an NFL coach who was also the defensive coordinator at, Florida, at Ohio State last year. And he turned Ohio State in from a garbage defense in 2018 that Purdue made look like a JV team into one of the three or four best defenses in the country last year with basically the same players. And so I think that they're they're going to be much better. And now that Phil Dracovic is eligible, they're going to be even better. And again, I'm not saying Phil Dracovic is going to like be Justin Fields in his first year at Boston College because he didn't get spring ball. I think that's going to hurt him. Uh, but I think he's going to be a, a, he's going to be able to make plays, and that's the big thing. He's going to have moments where you're like, "Yep, first year starter." That's what you do when you get a first year starter. But he's also going to make plays. You're like, yep, that's the dude that everybody thought was going to be a beast in in, in uh, college. And I think you. And then they also got people forget they got Jalen Gill eligible too. Notre Dame fans should remember that name. He was a kid from Ohio that Notre Dame recruited and ended up going to Ohio State. He transferred to BC and he also got granted immediate eligibility. So they got a twofold boost 
in, in immediate transfer waivers this year on offense. So BC's not going to be a slouch. And then the other part of that too, Vince, is that game comes right after Clemson. And there's right. two ways that could go that's concerned me. One is Notre Dame pulls off this big upset, and they're thinking, guys, we all we got to do is beat North Carolina, Boston College, and Syracuse. We're, we're, we're here. We're in the playoff. We're, we're going to play for a title. And then you got to play Boston College a week later, which for every Notre Dame fan older than 25 knows that's going to bring back bad memories. As soon as you said that, I, I started to get – I started to, like, shake. Yes. Like I, you know, I started yeah. to get, like, a twitch. Right. You know, like, oh, wait, Boston College after a big win. Where have I Where, seen that a before? A big win over an ACC team that's one of the dominant programs of college football. Huh. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> At home in November. Let me think. Man. Here's the other part of that. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Normally, when Notre Dame is an independent, I'd be even more concerned about that game if they lost. Because if they lost that game, you're like, oh, their national title chances are, are probably done. Right? And that's all Notre Dame has to play for. We've talked about that in past years, you and I. Not on shows because we weren't really on shows together. But we've talked about that's right, one right, of my right. big concerns. And that's trap the only games. thing you have to play right. for. Sure. Well, if Notre Dame's only loss at that time is to Clemson, now that you're in the ACC, hey, guys, we got to refocus because we go 3 0 the next three weeks. We got another crack at those guys. Yes. So it's almost like BC wants to hope that Notre Dame beats Clemson. <laughs> because if they lose to Clemson and that's their only loss, good luck. You're going to get a very motivated, focused Notre Dame team that, that is going to want to kill the next three teams that they yes. play because they want another crack at Clemson. Now, the only exception would be is if Clemson just obliterates them, which I don't think is going to happen. I think if Clemson wins, I don't think I think it's going to be a competitive game. I'll be shocked if Clemson just whips Notre Dame because I, I don't think the rosters are are hugely different other than mm-hmm. a couple positions, uh, quarterback and running back. And that's not a knock on Ian Book, but just Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in the country. Right. And there's, um, if anybody wants to debate that with, any, I mean, right. that's just a waste of don't take oxygen. that personally. No, if you if you got Notre Dame coaches in a in a in a moment of where they didn't think it was going to be get public, if they could take Trevor Lawrence, they would. And <laughs> if they say they don't, then they're they're lying to you. Yes. All right. So is every other coach in the country not named Ryan Day. Okay. So yeah. uh, anyway, you look at that now. I say, well, if they lose a close game to Clemson, they're going to want payback, which means you're going to get BC's best. Well, and you're going to get North Carolina's best. So if they lose to Clemson in a close game and it's only loss, then I don't know if that three-game stretch is going to be as tough because Notre Dame is going to be locked in to those next two games. But if Notre Dame happens to say they're you know eight and zero after that Clemson game, now I think the schedule gets a lot harder because now there's the pressure of okay, we got we got to even though it doesn't change their ultimate destination because if they beat Clemson they can still lose another game and still be in the ACC title game. But it's the perception of, well, we're undefeated. We just beat Clemson. We, we got to right. run the table. We got to run the table. And and so it's that adds such a unique dynamic that we've never experienced as, as people that covered Notre Dame or in before that that were Notre Dame fans. So how do they handle a loss now that when, they're in a conference? When there's still something to play for. Yes. Something significant yes. to play for. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like – Remember remember when Ohio State lost to Purdue a couple years ago? I believe Purdue. I called you right afterwards. It was 2017, <laughs> right? I remember. Uh, I called you right afterwards and I was like they're going to just they're going to I can't I feel so bad for Michigan State. Yeah. Cuz they played Michigan State the next week and Michigan State, remember, that was that 10-win Michigan State team that Notre Dame beat they beat them 48 to 3 and it could have been worse. Right, right. Cuz you just knew Ohio State was 
ticked. And they still had something to play for. And that was the Big Ten title. And they just obliterated. So it's like, you know, you, you how's Notre Dame going to respond to that? Does Notre Dame have that in their psyche, having never been in a conference before? Sure. There's, so that's what kind of makes this fun and exciting to me. Uh, is how how do you handle being a conference opponent? Because it's got to completely change Brian Kelly's how you approach the team. You know, it's it's not necessarily we got to win them all now. You know, um, you 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 know, it, it's just going to be fun and interesting to see Vince, and I, and I'm looking forward to covering it. I hope we're actually allowed to be at games. No, oh, I that's I won't be other, shocked yeah. if Notre Dame takes advantage of this. I'm using quote air quotes here pandemic uh, yeah. to not let us be at games. Won't shock me at all. Uh, or at least like do something like make us sit in the stands or something like that. Uh, you know, I, I it won't shock me. I hope that they don't do that. But you know, you know my stance on that. That with how things have gone in the last few years with the relationship with the media, uh, it won't it won't shock me. But uh, I have rather enjoyed in, the interactions with the new SID, and I'm I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully uh, those things don't continue that we've had to experience in recent years. Uh, so anyway, that's the 2020 Notre Dame schedule breakdown. Uh, we're going to obviously in future shows dive into more specifics of the show. Uh, we're going to dive into, you know, obviously breaking down each opponent. We're going to start diving into more Notre Dame, uh, pos- you know, position breakdowns and previewing the season because based on my latest sources, Vince, fall camp starts on the 12th. I was wondering about that. So, uh, my understanding is Notre Dame is going to have the last of whatever workouts they're allowed to have today. And then over the next few days, they're going to be off, which is going to make it very interesting. Uh, you're, you, you know, you've controlled them for the last two weeks or two months and you can say, here's where you go. Here's what you don't do. Well, now they're kind of getting off for the next few days and our kids going to still be disciplined or are they going to be going out? Plus all the other students are arriving this weekend. And, right. uh, you know, you wonder, you wonder how that's going to go. So, um, so that's obviously something we're going to talk about. And then a lot of recruiting news we're expecting to happen. Obviously in two days, Rocco Spindler makes his decision. That's we right. We are confident in how things look for Notre Dame, but it, you know, Michigan's pretty confident too. So, uh, that's going to be interesting to watch, uh, some, some other recruitments that we think could be winding down in the next week. So make sure you're staying in locked into irishbreakdown.com for the latest on that. And Vince, appreciate you, um, making the time today. I know yes, you were sir. in meetings and stuff before, so I'm sure you were uh, all talked out at least a little bit, but <laughs> we, we got plenty in because, uh, you know, there was a certainly certainly a lot of fun topics to talk about. So uh, make sure you stay locked into irishbreakdown.com. Oh, and uh, check out our website today. Obviously, the Notre Dame schedule is on there. The preseason poll is on there. But I also ranked the 10 ACC opponents' quarterbacks, 1 through 10. So the ten, well, actually one through eight, and then the two newcomers, Phil Dracovic and Chase Bryce, who are not returning starters, obviously, because uh, they're both transfers. So one to eight, who the best quarterbacks are, and it's a it's a more challenging quarterback schedule than I think some people realize. There's some good quarterbacks on the schedule this year uh, that that aren't household names. Obviously, you know everybody knows Trevor Lawrence, Sam Howell, but there's you know James Blackman, Mikhail Cunningham, Kenny Pickett. Uh, Phil Dracovic obviously is a household name, but you know he's a talented quarterback. Tommy DeVito, former four-star recruit of Syracuse, does he have a bounce-back year? Sam Hartman, a Wake Forest. So there's some good quarterbacks on the schedule this year, and uh, that's certainly going to put Notre Dame's defense to the test. And, and we're going to learn a lot about that group. But I, I also I like good quarterback play. 
you know, and I still remember when we when we saw Daniel Jones in 2016, thinking, "Well, this kid's pretty good." <laughs> yeah, right. You know, he ended up becoming a first round draft pick. So I like good quarterback play, and there's going to be a lot of good quarterback play because obviously Notre Dame has a very good quarterback as well. So a lot of good quarterback duels this year that I'm looking forward to watching. Uh, and so we broke that down on the uh, front page of IrishBreakdown.com. So check that out, and make sure you stay locked in to us on Twitter, but more so on our site because uh, there's going to be a lot of a uh, lot of recruiting talk here over the next week. So. Thank you all for joining us. Stay safe. Have a great rest of your day. We're going to try to get back with you next day or two for a recruiting podcast. We're going to see if we can make that happen. Uh, if we don't, then we will talk to you on Monday. If we do, then we will talk to you very soon. So for Vince Adair, I'm Brian Driscoll. You'll have a great rest of your Thursday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.